This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Return of the Native by Thomas Hardy. Book Three, The Fascination. Eight, A New Force Disturbs the Current. Wild Eve stared. Then looked coolly towards Wild Eve, and without a word being spoken, he deliberately sat himself down where Christian had been seated, thrust his hand into his pocket, drew out a sovereign, and laid it on the stone. "'You've been watching us from behind that bush?' said Wild Eve. The rattleman nodded. "'Done with your stake,' he said. "'Or haven't you pluck enough to go on?' Now, gambling is a species of amusement which is much more easily begun with full pockets than left off with the same, and though Wild even a cooler temper might have prudently declined this invitation, the excitement of his recent success carried him completely away. He placed one of the guineas on the slab beside the Redelman's sovereign. "'Mine's a guinea,' he said. "'A guinea that's not your own,' said Venn sarcastically. "'It is my own,' answered Wild Eve haughtily. "'It is my wife's, and what is hers is mine.' "'Very well. Let's make a beginning.' He shook the box and threw eight, ten, and nine. The three casts amounted to twenty-seven. This encouraged Wild Eve. He took the box, and his three casts amounted to forty-five. Down went another of the Redelman's sovereigns against his first one, which Wild Eve laid. This time Wild Eve threw fifty-one points, but no pair. The Redelman looked grim, threw a raffle of aces, and pocketed the stakes. "'Here you are again,' said Wild Eve contemptuously. "'Double the stakes.' He laid two of Thomasin's guineas, and the Redelman his two pounds, then one again. New stakes were laid on the stone, and the gamblers proceeded as before. Wild Eve was a nervous and excitable man, and the game was beginning to tell upon his temper. He writhed, fumed, shifted his seat, and the beating of his heart was almost audible. Then sat with lips impassively closed, and eyes reduced to a pair of unimportant twinkles. He scarcely appeared to breathe. He might have been an Arab or an automaton. He would have been like a red sandstone statue, but for the motion of his arm with the dice-box. The game fluctuated, now in favour of one, now in favour of the other, without any great advantage on the side of either. Nearly twenty minutes were passed thus. The light of the candle had by this time attracted heath-flies, moths, and other winged creatures of night, which floated round the lantern, flew into the flame, or beat about the faces of the two players. But neither of the men paid much attention to these things, their eyes being concentrated upon the little flat stone, which to them was an arena vast and important as a battlefield. By this time a change had come over the game, the Redelman won continually. At length, sixty guineas, Thomasin's fifty, and ten of Klim's had passed into his hands. 
Wild Eve was reckless, frantic, exasperated. One back his coat, said Venn slyly. Another throw, and the money went the same way. One back his hat, continued Venn. Oh, said Wild Eve. One back his watch, one back his money, and went out of the door a rich man, added Venn sentence by sentence, as stake after stake passed over to him. Five more! shouted Wild Eve, dashing down the money, and three casts be hanged. One shall decide. The red automaton opposite lapsed into silence, nodded, and followed his example. Wild Eve rattled the box and threw a pair of sixes and five points. He clapped his hands. Ha! I've done it this time! Hurrah! There are two playing, and only one has thrown, said the Reddleman, quietly bringing down the box. The eyes of each were then so intently converged upon the stone that one could fancy their beams were visible, like rays in a fog. Venn lifted the box, and behold, a triplet of sixes was disclosed. Wild Eve was full of fury. While the Reddleman was grasping the stakes, Wild Eve seized the dice and hurled them, box and all, into the darkness, uttering a fearful imprecation. Then he arose and began stamping up and down like a madman. "'It is all over, then?' said Venn. "'No, no!' cried Wild Eve. "'I mean to have another chance yet. I must!' "'But, my good man, what have you done with the dice?' "'I threw them away. It was a momentary irritation. "'What a fool I am! Here, come and help me look for them. We must find them again.' Wild Eve snatched up the lantern and began anxiously prowling among the firs and fern. "'You are not likely to find them there,' said Venn, following. "'What did you do such a crazy thing as that for? "'Here's the box. The dice can't be far off.' Wild Eve turned the light eagerly upon the spot where Venn had found the box, and mauled the herbage right and left. In the course of a few minutes one of the dice was found— they searched on for some time, but no other was to be seen. "'Never mind,' said Wild Eve. "'Let's play with one.' "'Agreed,' said Venn. Down they sat again, and recommenced with single guinea stakes, and the play went on smartly. But Fortune had unmistakably fallen in love with the Reddleman tonight. He won steadily, till he was the owner of fourteen more of the gold pieces.' Seventy-nine of the hundred guineas were his, Wild Eve possessing only twenty-one. The aspect of the two opponents was now singular. Apart from motions, a complete diorama of the fluctuations of the game went on in their eyes. A diminutive candle flame was mirrored in each pupil, and it would have been possible to distinguish therein between the moods of hope and the moods of abandonment, even as regards the Reddleman, though his facial muscles betrayed nothing at all. Wild Eve played on with the recklessness of despair. "'What's that?' he suddenly exclaimed, hearing a rustle, and they both looked up. They were surrounded by dusky forms between four and five feet high, standing a few paces beyond the rays of the lantern. A moment's inspection revealed that the encircling figures were heath-croppers, 
their heads being all towards the players, at whom they gazed intently. Whoosh! said Wild Eve, and the whole forty or fifty animals at once turned and galloped away. Play was again resumed. Ten minutes passed away. Then a large death's head moth advanced from the obscure outer air, wheeled twice round the lantern, flew straight at the candle, and extinguished it by the force of the blow. Wild Eve had just thrown, but had not lifted the box to see what he had cast, and now it was impossible. "'What the infernal!' he shrieked. "'Now, what shall we do? Perhaps I've thrown six. Have you any matches?' "'None,' said Ven. "'Christian had some. I wonder where he is. Christian!' But there was no reply to Wild Eve's shout, save a mournful whining from the herons which were nesting lower down the vale. Both men looked blankly round without rising. As their eyes grew accustomed to the darkness, they perceived faint greenish points of light among the grass and fern. These lights dotted the hillside like stars of a low magnitude. "'Ah, glowworms!' said Wild Eve. "'Wait a minute. We can continue the game.' Van sat still, and his companion went hither and thither, till he had gathered thirteen glowworms as many as he could find in a space of four or five minutes, upon a foxglove leaf which he pulled for the purpose. The redleman vented a low, humorous laugh when he saw his adversary return with these. "'Determined to go on, then,' he said dryly. "'I always am,' said Wild Eve angrily. And shaking the glowworms from the leaf, he ranged them with a trembling hand in a circle on the stone, leaving a space in the middle for the descent of the dice-box, over which the thirteen tiny lamps threw a pale phosphoric shine. The game was again renewed. It happened to be that season of the year at which glow-worms put forth their greatest brilliancy, and the light they yielded was more than ample for the purpose, since it is possible on such nights to read the handwriting of a letter by the light of two or three. The incongruity between the men's deeds and their environment was great. Amid the soft, juicy vegetation of the hollow in which they sat, the motionless and the uninhabited solitude intruded the chink of guineas, the rattle of dice, the exclamations of the reckless players. Wild Eve had lifted the box as soon as the lights were obtained, and the solitary die proclaimed that the game was still against him. "'I won't play any more. You've been tampering with the dice,' he shouted. "'How, when they were your own?' said the Redleman. "'We'll change the game. The lowest point shall win the stake. It may cut off my ill luck. Do you refuse?' "'No, go on.' "'Oh, there they are again, damn them!' cried Wild Eve, looking up. The Heathcroppers had returned, noiselessly, and were looking on with erect heads just as before, their timid eyes fixed upon the scene, as if they were wondering what mankind and candlelight could have to do in these haunts at this untoward hour. "'What a plague those creatures are, staring at me so!' he said, and flung a stone which scattered them, when the game was continued as before. Wild Eve had now ten guineas left, and each laid five. Wild Eve threw three points, then two, and raked in the coins. 
The other seized the die and clenched his teeth upon it in sheer rage, as if he would bite it in pieces. "'Never give in. Here are my last five, he cried, throwing them down. "'Hang the glowworms, they're going out. Why don't you burn, you little fools? Stir them up with a thorn.' He probed the glowworms with a bit of stick and rolled them over till the bright side of their tails was upwards. "'There's light enough. Throw on,' said Ven. Wild Eve brought down the box within the shining circle, and looked eagerly. He had thrown Ace. "'Well done. I said it would turn, and it has turned.' Ven said nothing, but his hand shook slightly. He threw Ace also. "'Oh!' said Wild Eve. "'Curse me!' The die smacked the stone a second time. It was Ace again. Ven looked gloomy, through. The die was seen to be lying in two pieces, the cleft sides uppermost. Huh, I've thrown nothing at all, he said. Serves me right, I split the die with my teeth. Here, take your money. Blank is less than one. I don't wish it. Take it, I say, you've won it. And Wild Eve threw the stakes against the Reddleman's chest. Ven gathered them up, arose, and withdrew from the hollow, Wild Eve sitting stupefied. When he had come to himself, he also arose, and with the extinguished lantern in his hand, went towards the high road. On reaching it, he stood still. The silence of night pervaded the whole heath except in one direction, and that was towards Mistover. There he could hear the noise of light wheels, and presently saw two carriage lamps descending the hill. Wild Eve screened himself under a bush, and waited. The vehicle came on and passed before him. It was a hired carriage, and behind the coachman were two persons whom he knew well. There sat Eustacia and Yobright, the arm of the latter being round her waist. They turned the sharp corner at the bottom towards the temporary house, which Klim had hired and furnished, about five miles to the eastward. Wildy forgot the loss of the money at the sight of his lost love, whose preciousness in his eyes was increasing in geometrical progression with each new incident that reminded him of their hopeless division. Brimming with the subtilized misery that he was capable of feeling, he followed the opposite way, towards the inn. About the same moment that Wild Eve stepped into the highway, Ven also had reached it, at a point a hundred yards farther on. And he, hearing the same wheels, likewise waited till the carriage should come up. When he saw who sat therein, he seemed to be disappointed. Reflecting a minute or two, during which interval the carriage rolled on, he crossed the road, and took a shortcut through the firs and heath to a point where the turnpike road bent round in ascending a hill. He was now again in front of the carriage, which presently came up at a walking pace. Ven stepped forward and showed himself. Eustacia started when the lamp shone upon him, and Klim's arm was involuntarily withdrawn from her waist. He said, "'What, Diggory? You're having a lonely walk?' "'Yes, I beg your pardon for stopping you,' said Ven. "'But I am waiting about for Mrs. Wildeve. I have something to give her from Mrs. Yobright.' 
Can you tell me if she's gone home from the party yet? No, but she'll be leaving soon. You may possibly meet her at the corner. Van made a farewell obeisance and walked back to his former position, where the by-road from Mistover joined the highway. Here he remained fixed for nearly half an hour, and then another pair of lights came down the hill. It was the old-fashioned, wheeled, nondescript belonging to the captain, and Thomasin sat in it alone, driven by Charlie. The Reddleman came up as they slowly turned the corner. "'I beg pardon for stopping you, Mrs. Wildeve,' he said, "'but I have something to give you privately from Mrs. Yobright.' He handed a small parcel. It consisted of the hundred guineas he had just won, roughly twisted up in a piece of paper. Thomasin recovered from her surprise and took the packet. "'That's all, ma'am. I wish you good night,' he said, and vanished from her view. Thus Venn, in his anxiety to rectify matters, had placed in Thomasin's hands not only the fifty guineas which rightly belonged to her, but also the fifty intended for her cousin Klim. His mistake had been based upon Wild Eve's words at the opening of the game, when he indignantly denied that the guineas were not his own. It had not been comprehended by the Redleman that at halfway through the performance the game was continued with the money of another person, and it was an error which afterwards helped to cause more misfortune than treble the loss in money value could have done. The night was now somewhat advanced, and Van plunged deeper into the heath till he came to a ravine where his van was standing, a spot not more than two hundred yards from the site of the gambling boat. He entered this movable home of his, lit his lantern, and, before closing his door for the night, stood reflecting on the circumstances of the preceding hours. While he stood, the dawn grew visible in the northwest quarter of the heavens, which, the clouds having cleared off, was bright with a soft sheen at this midsummer time, though it was only between one and two o'clock. Then, thoroughly weary, then shut his door, and flung himself down to sleep. End of chapter End of book three Recorded by Graham at Plum Hill on the 15th of May 2006 in Shropshire, England.